0: In confirmation class, we like to play this game called Would You Rather? Have you heard of this game? Would You Rather? Basically, I give you two choices. You tell me which one of these you would rather do. So we're going to start out today by playing Would You Rather. Everybody okay with that? If you're not, I don't really care because we're doing it anyway. So uh, would you rather, question number one, have a rewind or pause button on your life. Like a little button you could press at any moment. Say pause, just stop it, or go back and, and redo that part. How many would say rewind button? How about a pause button? A few people with the pause buttons, yeah? All right, next question. Would you rather talk like Yoda or breathe like Darth Vader for the rest of your life? Who says Yoda? Lots of Yodas. Darth Vader. All right. We got a few of these. (laughs) All right, how the next one? Would you rather... Wear a clown wig or clown shoes every day for the rest of your life. Who says wig? Anybody for shoes? A few clown shoes. All right. Uh, Next one. Would you rather be the funniest or smartest person in the room? Somebody says, well, I'm already both. No, don't say that. But (laughs) who would rather be the funniest person in the room? How about the smartest person? Yeah? Yeah? Alright, here we go, last question, would you rather eat a bowl of snakes or get eaten by a snake? What if I told you that last question was not theoretical? What if I told you that there's actually a snake, a serpent out there on the loose? Bigger than an anaconda, stronger than a boa constrictor, more poisonous than a pit viper, and every day he is hunting you from the shadows, waiting for a moment of weakness to strike his death-dealing blow. Satan wants to swallow you whole. Turns out then that the fairy tales are true, monsters are real, and in today's text, Jesus is going to go toe-to-toe with this monster, and he's going to defeat him in an epic showdown in the desert I love what G.K. Chesterton says about fairy tales. A lot of times you'll hear complaints about how oh, we don't want to show our kids fairy tales because it's going to make them scared or something. But I think his insight here is, uh, is really, really good. He, he says, fairy tales do not tell children the dragons exist. Children already know that dragons exist. Fairy tales tell children the dragons can be killed. Jesus, the hero, is going to slay the enemy. He's going to defeat the dragon today. So I'll ask you to rise this morning for the reading of God's Word. This is Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. It is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, "Begone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. For some of us, this is a familiar passage. We've heard about Jesus in the temptation, but for others, maybe not. So basically, here's kind of what's going on. Jesus has just been baptized this follows right on the heels of his baptism and his baptism was was like the the start the inauguration ceremony of his uh, earthly ministry in a way and the very thing that happens is the spirit sends him out in the wilderness to be tempted notice that it's, it's not satan that just kind of entices jesus into the wilderness the spirit's actually the one that that sends him showing that this is part of of god's ordained plan and god is at work in a powerful way here so he sends him out into this, this really rough Judean desert, which is not like the Sahara or you think of the Lion King, right, where there's like all this sand everywhere. It, the Judean desert is a really rocky, craggy kind of wilderness, a really rough place, right? And, and he's just gone 40 days and 40 nights without food. So Jesus is hungry. And I don't know about you, I can hardly go 40 minutes without needing a snack of some sort, Right? Bring like my peanuts and Gatorade up to the pulpit to get through my sermons or something. Uh, But 40 days and 40 nights is a long time. And after these 40 days are done, Satan comes to Jesus to tempt him in the wilderness. Right when he's at his weakest, right? This is a tactic of the enemy. He he sees and he prowls around like a roaring lion waiting for someone to to devour and destroy. And he sees us when we're weak and that's kind of when he pounces. And he does the same thing with, with Jesus here. Three different times, three different ways, but each time Jesus rebuffs him with Scripture. He doesn't give in to temptation, and by the end, he casts Satan out. Jesus versus Satan, round one, fight, right? And by the end of it, Satan is down for the count. Now, to really understand what's going on here, we have to go back, because there's a ton of Old Testament Illusions baked into this text. And we want to, to, to do a little bit of digging to kind of unravel those because that will help us understand the, the full depth of what's going on here. The whole encounter between Jesus and Satan, it kind of reads like a Bible trivia contest, right? Like they're just sort of swapping Bible verses back and forth. Um, so we're going to go back and revisit two places very briefly. The Garden of Eden in the wilderness, back in the Old Testament. And as we do this, we're going to see that this is not the first time the forces of light and the forces of darkness have clashed. So back to Genesis, back to the Garden of Eden. We have Adam and Eve in the Garden, right? Remember this, everything is, is going well, everything is as it should be. This was paradise. Everything was going great until it wasn't anymore. If you have your Bibles, you can turn here with me to Genesis Very first book of of your Bible, Genesis chapter 3, we will read verses 1 through 7 here. The title of mine says, The Fall, and probably yours says something very similar. Uh, Genesis 3, verses 1 through 7. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat any tree in the garden? Pause for a second there. You notice what Satan is doing. He's trying to tempt Eve to doubt God's word, right? Did God really say? Did, did God? I know you think that that God said this, but but did He really? He probably meant something else. The word Satan uh, or devil it, it means, and we see it in this text too. He's called the tempter, but the the word means uh, slanderer. So. By, or accuser, right? Slander or accuser is Satan. So by his very nature, what he does, like when he lies, he speaks his native tongue. So what he does is he takes God's words, part of his tactics, he takes God's words and he puts a little twist on it. Not so much that God's word is unrecognizable, but enough to cause us to doubt and to lead people astray. So we've got Satan here and, and he's, he's tempting Eve in the garden and, and he employs the same tactic with Jesus in the temptation in the wilderness, uh, where he's saying, you know, if 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 you are God's son, again, trying to get him to, to question and to doubt. So anyway, does did God really say? That's the first part here. That was verse 1, uh, but I'm going to read the rest of it through verse 7. So, and the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it. That's a lie. That's wrong. God never said, don't touch it. He just said, don't eat it, uh, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The serpent that's spoken about here in Genesis is actually Satan. So if anyone is keeping score, right from the the first encounter between God's people and the snake, it's snake one, God's people zero, right? Now let's jump ahead a little bit further in the Old Testament to the wilderness. So God makes this covenant with one of Adam and Eve's descendants, Abraham. Abraham. Abraham has a son, Isaac. Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. And uh, Jacob is, is also given the name Israel. So, this is where we get the name Israelites, right? And, and God makes his promise to Abraham. He says, I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as, as the seashore, as numerous as the stars in the sky. You will be my people. I will be your God. I will protect you. I will, I will take care of you, essentially. And so you've got this this special people here. Uh, But by the time you get to Jacob, the descendants have have gotten so big and they're in Egypt and the Egyptians enslaved them. So God sends this guy Moses into into Egypt to bring them into the promised land to rescue them from slavery, right? You with me so far? So as they head out into the wilderness, the Israelites do what Human beings are prone to do, which is what? We whine and complain and we grumble, and they did this over and over and over again. And finally, it gets to the point where God brings this punishment on them. It says, the Lord's, this is numbers 32:13." And the Lord's anger was kindled against Israel, and He made them wander in the wilderness 40 years, until all the generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was gone. As punishment for their failure, Israel had to wander in limbo for 40 years in the desert before entering the promised land. Another victory for Satan. So, again, if you're keeping score, snake two, humans zero. And that trend continues throughout all the Old Testament until by the end of Malachi, we're left kind of wondering, man, is victory even possible? Can the serpent, can the snake, can Satan be defeated? Okay, so now we have those two kind of incidents in the back of our minds, right? The, the context here. Adam and Eve's sin giving into the temptation in the garden, and then the Israelites in the wilderness giving into the temptation to distrust God and to whine and complain and to beg to go back to Egypt, right? So that's the backdrop against which Jesus' temptation takes place here, this big showdown between Jesus and Satan it's interesting that Jesus is tempted 40 days and 40 nights. The Bible does this thing with numbers. It uses them in a, in a very symbolic way in particular places, and this is one of those particular places. So the number 40, the number 40 is important because it connotes a period of testing. We already talked about the Israelites being 40 years in the desert, but we also have Noah, the, the flood's Came and they, the downpour came for 40 days and for 40 nights. Uh, and we have Moses up on Mount Sinai when he receives the tablets. He's up on that mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. And now Jesus' temptation takes place and he's coming off of 40 days and 40 nights without food in the same wilderness where the Israelites had been tested and failed. You're starting to catch what's going on here? Something big is about to go down as Jesus steps up to the plate. And Satan throws three tests his way. Three tests, trying to tempt him to believe three different lies. Temptation number one, God's not going to provide, you are going to have to feed yourself. This first temptation seems innocent enough. Whenever I read the story of Jesus' temptation, this is the one that's kind of confusing to me because it's like, I mean, a guy's got to eat, right? He's been a long time without food, and, and Satan's right. Like, he does have the power to actually turn those stones into bread. So, what's the big deal here? Seems like a worthy cause. But but Satan is tempting Jesus to believe that God's not going to come through for him, so he needs to take matters into his own hands, And he does this by appealing to his primal appetites, like he does with us. Food, lusts of the flesh, material goods, etc. But Jesus fends off the enemy with God's word by quoting Deuteronomy 8.3. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, of course, we need food. He's not saying, like, stop eating and just read your Bible. Uh, but even more than food, we need God because he's the one who actually supplies us with our daily bread. So that's temptation number one. Temptation number two comes along. Satan brings Jesus up to the highest point in the temple. All right, we're talking hundreds and hundreds of feet. The, the temple, the whole mountain area of Jerusalem, there was this big valley that was next to it. And so... Had he been on top of this, this peak, we're talking hundreds and hundreds of feet going down, so there would have been no way you would survive something like that on your own. And he takes him up there, and he says, again, sounds very logical, like toss yourself down here because God says in his word, you see Satan's learning here, he's catching on to Jesus' tactics. Jesus was quoting scripture, so I better quote some scripture back too. So he says, because God's word says, and God's the word does say, that he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways, lest you strike your foot against a stone. The only problem is that when Satan quotes that, he leaves off part of the verse. It's a quote from Psalm 91, 11 through 12. He leaves off that little phrase, in all your ways, which makes it clear that God protects us when bad things happen to us, not when we recklessly seek them out. But again, Jesus stiff-arms him by quoting Deuteronomy 6.16. It is written, shall not put the Lord your God to the test. That's temptation number two. Temptation number three, this is the third lie Satan throws his way. Don't wait for God to give you what's rightfully yours. Go after it yourself and do whatever you need to claim it. So Satan, what he does is he takes Jesus up to this, this high mountain Overlooking all of the, the kingdoms, and so they can look down from there and they can they can see everything. Now it's important to remember that Satan in scripture is described as the prince of this world. He has jurisdiction, a certain jurisdiction in the world that, that God has allowed him. So he's always on God's leash, but at the same time he does have a sense there's a sense in which he is the prince of this world. And so he tempts Jesus. He says, Look, see all this here? I'll give it to you all of it, if you will just bow down and worship me. God's not going to give you the kingdom. You need to go after it. You need to go get it, start building your own kingdom. So let's do a deal. Just give me your allegiance and we'll make it happen. But for the third and final time, Jesus rebukes Satan with these words, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. But what I find really interesting here uh, is actually verse 11, the verse that comes after that. It says, Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. You see what happens here? Is that the very angels Jesus had said, I'm not going to call upon them. I'm not going to, to demand that they come to my aid. God now sends. Gives to him. And the very food that he had refused to turn into bread, the rocks that he had refused to turn into bread. The angels are now ministering to him, providing for all of his needs. See, God does supply everything. By the end of the showdown, Satan, the great serpent, is down. Now, a lot of times this passage gets preached as a kind of how-to manual on here are ten steps for you to overcome temptation, but that's not what's going on here. This account wasn't written to teach us how to defeat Satan. It's not even a guidebook on Satan's tactics, though we certainly do learn things about the devil here. Rather, the temptation about Jesus is the temptation of Jesus is about one thing. You ready for it? He succeeds where we fail. jesus succeeds where we fail that's the point adam and eve gave gave into temptation ate the fruit broke the world but god did something different here then right like when our kids screw something up my kids don't but i know some of your other kids do uh, when our kids screw something up we say what well try again next time like you, you can try again you'll get a second chance But with Adam and Eve, this isn't what God does. After they eat the fruit, after they sin, He doesn't give them a second chance. Instead, what He does is He sends a second Adam in the person of Jesus Christ. And We heard this in our scripture reading this morning. And I'm going to read a few of those verses again. This is Romans 5, beginning at 14. Adam was a type of the one who was to come, but the free gift is not like the trespass For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Let's be honest with ourselves for a moment. Can we do that? The truth is that we give in to temptation all the time. Small things, big things whether it's the lusts of the flesh or something else, there's no silver bullet against temptation. Actions, thoughts, words, and deeds, all this stuff that that we know is wrong and we know is even bad for us, but but at times we we chase after anyway, thinking it will meet our needs and, and we'll find happiness. Satan sneaks around, right, seeking to devour us, and at the opportune moment, right when we're at our weakest, the big snake rears his head, strikes, and sinks in his poisonous fangs. Now, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can fight. We can struggle, struggle. We can even overcome sins in our life. But we can't defeat the serpent. We can't eat the snake. Only Jesus can, and he did. As the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 54 through 57, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death is swallowed up. At the cross, Jesus swallowed up the snake for us monsters are real, but because of Jesus, they have been defeated. The best picture I know of this comes from Revelation chapter 12, and I'm going to wrap up just kind of painting this image, this picture for you. Revelation is a a crazy, crazy book. If there were Amazon reviews of the book of Revelation. I would really like to read them because there would be some interesting things there. Um, and there's a plug for the adult study too. If After church today, if you want to learn more about Revelation, you can join them at the back of the sanctuary. It's a, it's a phenomenal book that points to Jesus. Um, but in Revelation 12, try to envision this scene that John gives us, okay? There's this woman, and she's pregnant. She's about to give birth, okay? So she's there, on the birthing table, ready to give birth. But instead of at the other end, the doctor, well, that's not what a doctor, what is a doctor? That's a bad position, that's a bad doctor. Don't do what what I'm trying to explain here. A doctor, rather than being there to catch the baby, instead, the image he paints is there is this dragon, this serpent, with its mouth wide open, ready to swallow up that baby the second that it's born. The serpent is Satan, the baby is our Savior, Jesus. But the story takes a turn. The woman safely gives birth to the child who represents the Savior, and this dragon, the devil, is thrown down with all his angels. He's defeated. And John says this. This is Revelation 12, verses 10 through 11a. He says, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God, and they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Only the Lamb of God was strong enough. slay the dragon the serpent has been defanged his bite has lost all venom he can't accuse us anymore because all of our sin has been taken care of by jesus who crushed the head of satan at the cross we are loved forgiven and freed to live fearlessly in light of our strong savior The truth, dear friends, is that monsters are real, but through Jesus, they have been defeated. Amen. Hey friends, Pastor Luke here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I trust that you've been blessed by our message from God's word today. Hey, we'd love to connect with you more. If you have comments or questions, you can email me directly at pastorchellog at gmail.com. That's Pastor K-J-O-L-H-A-U-G at gmail.com. As we wrap up our time together today, please receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen.